He lived here, in Bountiful. But Frank Layden and the Utah Jazz never met him at his peak. He played just 17 games, averaging 17 points, and shooting a career-worst 41.2%. But that isn't the measure of the man. Pete Maravich was a phenomenon. He's someone that I wanted to model my game after, but my high school coach was against it. He wanted me to choose Jerry West instead <laughs> instead of uh, Pistol Pete. If the three-point shot was used as much as it's used now, he probably would average 40 a game. Just that he's He was a vegan before there was a vegan. I mean, he was, I ate healthy, but he ate more healthier than I did. I called the Jimi Hendrix of professional basketball, ahead of his times. The Pistol was the New Orleans Jazz. And for five unforgettable seasons, basketball mattered in Louisiana. I'm JP Chunga, and this is The Note, the history of the Jazz, presented by Delta. starts with jazz music. This franchise joined the league for $6.1 million in 1974. That's nearly $40 million in 2023. New Orleans was selected for its 40,000-seat Superdome, a building that was still a year out. Mardi Gras the Colors, and its star, a local legend. Pistol Pete turned the football-crazed SEC into a basketball conference, even if it was just for a night. Sellouts home and away were common. If Pistol was in town, people were showing up. I saw him play one game in college at Oregon State uh, near where I grew up. CEO of Jazz Basketball, Danny Ainge. His game was different. It was unique. You know, you heard the stories of his ball handling drills, and those were available, like, on tape. You know, the guy's dribbling out the window of a car while his dad's driving him to school. At LSU, he played for his father the AAU dad of all AAU dads, Press Maravich. Press demanded that his son be a basketball star. In his own name, he unleashed Peter Press Maravich to the tune of 3,667 points. That's still an NCAA record, one Pete accomplished in three seasons because freshmen weren't allowed on varsity and there was no three-point line or shot clock former jazz man Nate Williams. Pistol was the best ball handler I've ever seen. He would come down and put the ball in front of him and dribble it like that and hope he would reach for it and go right past you. Even jazz broadcaster Ron Boone felt his wrath. I remember one ball game but I played against him um, in Omaha, Nebraska, where I'm from and part of my family, my fans. He had about 35 at the half, you know, kind of embarrassing, but that's how good he was. Drafted third overall in the 1970 draft, Pete began his career in Atlanta, a pairing that initially drew fans, but lacked success. The novelty just eventually wore off. Sweet Lou Hudson and Walt Bellamy were the stars. Pete was the odd man out. So when an expansion franchise became an option, Atlanta asked for a haul. 
four first-round picks, two second-rounders, and two players from the expansion draft. Pete asked, Is that all? He could have vetoed the deal due to a no-trade clause in his contract, but ultimately Pete needed a change of course. He switched his number from 44 to 7 after his first year in New Orleans to signify a life transformation. As biographer Mark Kriegel put it, even more than a championship, the erstwhile child star wanted to feel loved again. Nate Williams realized his impact. He could go anywhere from Lake Charles to New Orleans and even out of, to Alabama. And people would recognize him because he was pistol beat marriage. But the first year was a car crash right into a train wreck. Hall of Fame center and former Hawks teammate Walt Bellamy started the inaugural game in Madison Square Garden against the Knicks. He was waived before the team played Philadelphia the next night. With the Superdome not completed yet, the Jazz split home games between an old opera house called the Municipal Auditorium and a leaky roof gym at Loyola University. Named the Fieldhouse, the floor was elevated, three feet for the court. Nets lined around the hardwood for safety. Hot Rod Hunley said the tin roof sounded like machine gun fire when it rained. Well, it was a, a old building. I think some of the shots in the corner, you had to make sure you didn't hit the, uh, one of the uh, chairs coming down or one of the seats, uh, uh, the upper part of the, the, the building. You had to, it, was, it was an old building. And um, you had to know how to play there to, to keep from doing certain things that keep from getting hurt. Hall of Famer Adrian Dantley had mixed feelings playing in New Orleans. It was different. It was a little bit uncomfortable there in, in Detroit, same way. But people, uh, they enjoyed coming to New Orleans and play, but uh, the basketball arena, that was something else to be said about. <laughs> Pat Putnam of Sports Illustrated gave a midseason check-in in 1975. So far, the team has had 26 players, two head coaches, Scotty Robertson and Butch Van Bredikoff, two arenas, two assistant coaches, Sam Jones and Elgin Baylor, who remain, two presidents, and a partridge in a pear tree. Lakers broadcaster Stu Lance is a jazz original. Scotty Robertson, who was the initial coach to start the season. Remember Scotty? His theories about how the game is to be played from a from a strategic standpoint with guards, forwards, centers, etc. And you know there were some disagreements between him and me. Obviously, I've never been one to hold back my my thoughts. And played there only 20 games, I believe it was, before I was traded to the Lakers. So I wasn't there for the duration of that that miserable for, uh, first season, but I was there for the start of it. And it was it was not something that anybody anticipated. You know, even though it was a an expansion franchise at the time. We still thought we'd win a little bit more than we did, especially initially. Pete Maverick and I were in the backcourt and he mentioned that he numbered them one and two. Pete was a one, I was a two. This was our first disagreement. He wanted Pete to be the prototypical point guard. And I was like, seriously? You wanna, <laughs> you wanna take what makes Pete, Pete out of his hands and make him do something that isn't really him? The first year, they finished 23-59. and 59. Hot Rod worked in the phrase, win or lose, everyone to Pat O'Brien's. 
home of the hurricane cocktail. It was the New Orleans nightlife that kept spirits high. Former jazz man Truck Robinson. I used to be up 3.30 in the morning in the French Quarter and didn't know it. I thought it was 12 o'clock. All the time it's like, no, it's not that Chuck is like a quarter to four. I mean, we got practice. Because <laughs> you just bought it, bought, you're just having fun and time just going by you. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful place. Adrian Dantley. Well, I'll tell you one thing I remember. I remember the first time I went to New Orleans, I ate those hot dishes. It didn't agree with me when the game time came. So I, that's one thing I learned from being there the first time. I didn't eat that stuff until after the game. But uh, it's a great place. Every guy in the NBA looked forward to going to New Orleans, you know, especially if we had two days, two or three days to stay there. Nate Williams. I learned to fish there. We used to catch striped bass, red fish, everything that's in the, in the gut. James McElroy and I used to do a lot of fishing. He'll tell you, me and him used to go, in, and Elgin Baylor, we used to go out in the Gulf and catch speckled trout. One time we caught about 100 speckled trout. And um, the guy that we was on the boat with, they take the eggs, and, and the kids eat the eggs. It's like caviar. Only thing is, um, it's not from Sturgis. It's from, um, from, from the speckled trout. Butch Van Bredikoff managed two years as a coach before a basketball legend, famed Laker Elgin Baylor. His credibility spoke to the pistol. He encouraged Nate Williams to shoot. The duo scored 40-plus in one ballgame. Williams 41, Maravich 45. I tried to learn everything I possibly could from him. How to bump guys and fall away from them. How to hook guys without using your arms, use your elbows. And, and 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 get away from players. That's Elgin could do that, and he, he and if you listen to him, he could teach you how to do it without getting offensive fouls. Elgin was a great. He played against me in practice all the time. <laughs> he just had this ego thing, like they they letting you get rebound, they letting you do that. They let, I say they're not letting me do anything. I'm not their son, and he would play with me, holding me, stepping on my foot, boxing me out. And then he'll tell the players, hey, X-Truck him in off the rebound. <laughs> we call him great. I said, great, I'm not trying to get no. And then when he get tired, we rest. I say, hey, man, we got to go. We got to go to lunch or something. Come on, no, no. Because if, if I don't guard you and somebody else, you'll be getting points and rebounds, and I'm not in there. <laughs> yeah, great. He was a great. I, I love Elgin Watt. Baylor trusted the pistol, and Pete delivered his finest performance. There's the pistol. He has really had some outstanding games against the Knicks. Bryant almost gets a steal at Bitcoin. Here's the Maravich. Wow, but it's good. Pistol beat. The New York Knicks rolled into the Superdome, boasting the fearsome backcourt of Walt Frazier and Earl Monroe. Red Oldsman's team had plenty of bodies to throw at Pete. Dean Meminger was the pistol stopper. He slowed Maravich to 20 points in his second-to-last college game. But on February 25, 1977, Pete, adorned in the floppy socks and long shorts, popped off for 68. He went 26 of 43 from the field, 16 of 19 from the free-throw line, grabbed six rebounds and dished six assists, all before he fouled out. If the three-point line existed, he would have gone well over 70. 
The next highest Jazz score was Mo Howard with 12. Maravich said something to Tiki Burton. Tiki is picked off here at Fistful hit. I don't know how you stop him. It's too much. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I'm running out of things to say about Maravich. And here is Maravich dribbling through that press. He's going to go in and drive shoot of the Rats. Good, and he was fouled. And Pistol ran right over top. A cameraman perched at courtside. But the 80s got. Here they go, and he gets the layup to hit 60. You're watching basketball history for Pete Maravich tonight. 60 big ones. Here's a basket for him if he could convert. 68 for Maravich. And a steal. Look at him fight for this ball. The Pistols doing it all. A great ball game. Goes on the drive. He's out of the ball game. They called him with an offensive foul, and that will allow him out of the ball game with 118 to go. Listen to the hand he gets with 68 points. The most successful season started the next summer. Leonard Truck Robinson signed as a free agent ahead of the 1977-78 campaign. The six-foot-seven power forward earned his nickname just about how you thought he would. He ran through defenders. I always think I kind of changed the uh, power forward position for guys six, seven, six, eight, and like that. Because when I was a rookie playing, I was a small forward in Washington. Elvin Hayes, Wes Olson, and me was up front after I got the job from Mike Redden, my friend. And then when I went to the Jazz, I was an under-height power forward because I'm 6'7", but I was 245. And, and players my size and my position, they didn't dribble too much. They didn't shoot too much. They just banged. By that point, Truck had already been to the NBA Finals with the Washington Bullets. He formed a big three with Gail Goodrich. The Pistol was glad to have somebody like Truck in transition. He'd be dribbling and off the dribble, some sh shovel pass, or I'd, I'd get the rebound and throw it to him, and he'd take it underhand and throw it to start the fast break. Just crazy stuff, like, well, why is he doing that? But he could flat pass it. Anytime he wanted it, if he wanted it. And he was just tremendous. They don't talk about him a lot. You know, I just tell him, I say, Pete, now, all we have to do is win. You're going to get all the credit. You're from Baton Rouge. <laughs> okay? So it don't matter what nobody else do. You're going to get the credit. So then he began to want to win now and scoring and getting 40 and 50 and all like that. Didn't matter to him. The Jazz were on their way to playoff qualification. Truck earned an all-star appearance and led the league in rebounding. This would be the year. Then on a fateful night in Buffalo, the future of the franchise writhed in pain on the hardwood. Pete, ever the showman, tried a between-the-legs pass but slipped near midcourt. In the AP story, the team's trainer, Don Sparks, said Maravich strained a ligament just below his knee a knock you would see more prominently in football rather than basketball. Pistol missed the next nine games, and the team went 1-8. The Jazz finished out the season with its best record during the New Orleans era, 39-43, four games out and fifth in the Central Division. The franchise was never the same. They came out when we played certain people, but on an average... They decided, well, we're not going there. But it should have been better because the Saints was terrible. 
people wearing bags on their head. And Tulane and uh, other schools weren't that big. Didn't have no baseball, no hockey. So it should have been kind of like the way Portland was, with the only thing in town. Well, there had to be a lot of pressure on Pete for, for that reason. But at the same time, he handled it. He handled it quite well. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously, being a friend, I, I, maybe I'm a little biased, but he handled everything with class. Uh, even, the, even the losing aspect of it, he handled all of that with class. He just every night went out and tried to do whatever he could do to, to make that club a winner. He was just such a dynamic personality, and on top of being a great player, he was so unique in his passing, in his shooting, shot making. Um, he was a, just an electric player. It would have been really interesting for Pistol to to have played with a couple of other stars and you know more good players around him because he was a, an, an incredible passer and player. And as a kid growing up. Uh, you know, he, his game was different. It was unique. I mean, the guy, he averaged 44 points a game over his college career. And, um, I mean, that's just insane. And with no three-point line and no shot clock, maybe more importantly, there was no shot clock. So an amazing player. And, you know, with his long floppy hair and his long floppy socks and everything was unique about Pistol. The next year, Maravich played just 49 games. Robinson requested a new contract, management shipped truck to Phoenix, and the team fell to the cellar with a 26 and 56 mark. The Superdome crowds dried up. With its poor finishes, the arena couldn't guarantee dates, and owner Sam Battistone searched for a new home. On the next episode of The Note, what were those early years in Utah like? How did they survive? And when did this team start winning? I'm J.P. Chunga, and this has been The Note, the history of the Utah Jazz, presented by Delta. Delta.